0: Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello
1: and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I am the host of this show. As always, I'm trying to introduce you to new, inspirational, legendary leaders who really are leaders in their own self They aren't leaders because someone told them to be a leader. They aren't leaders because there is a certain reward behind it in terms of top title or hierarchy. They just took on this role, created it for themselves, really adjusted it in a a certain sense. And they show this authentic leadership to the people around them, making a huge impact on the wider world. It's incredible, and today's guest is absolutely no exception here. It's Paul Rose, TV presenter, radio broadcaster, adventurer, explorer. He has so many different titles, but he's a very, very experienced television presenter, and he's got a proven track record in business engagements, and he's a sought-after speaker, chairman, host, and moderator for the industry, government, and NGO events. If I were to read at uh, this intro to Paul himself, he would say, ah, come on. Yeah, in the end, I'm just a human being. I'm an honest person. And yes, I'm on a mission to protect our nature. That's how he would probably summarize it. He is uh, going to share a lot of insights with regards to leadership with us today, which is going to be absolutely amazing. And you will hear in the intro how we actually met and what impact he has left on me right away after our initial meeting it's been emotional it's been inspirational it's been energizing it's been full of humor at the same time that's what this amazing storyteller can create when you listen to him what else are we going to talk about so he has an amazing story to tell how he actually got to be this adventurer and explorer that he is it didn't just start like that yeah that he knew okay that's what i want to be And that's where I want to be. There is a fantastic, wonderful, and again, very real story behind it. He's also going to talk a little bit more about his mission or his missions in the world and how he's really trying to protect our planet. What are the initiatives he's taking and how is he helping other people to to get on board We are going to talk a lot about self-leadership and what it is really about. In particular, when you are an explorer, you are in very different places like the Antarctica, where he has spent quite a substantial amount of time. You spend time with a crew and a team on a ship. Self-leadership is essential. Focusing on the people around you is absolutely essential. And being very human with each other is a must. So that is absolutely an example we are going to be chatting about. He's also going to share with us why honesty plays such an important role in leadership and why we need more of it nowadays. He's therefore also going to share some of the leadership stories with us of leaders that have inspired him in particular in the last months, whilst we found ourselves in lockdown, in this situation where suddenly out of the blue a pandemic hit us. What has his observations been with regards to other leaders, leadership in general, how he looked after himself, but also he shares very openly his challenges throughout this time as well. And last but not least, we are going to close this conversation today talking about one of his most challenging inner journeys that he has been through. He's going on so many adventures, um, right? And those adventures, those journeys, this traveling usually brings an inner journey with him so what has his been have a listen yourself enjoy this conversation and do let us know as always what you think about it so leave leave a review for us in the feedback section on itunes because we really want to hear what you think about the show what topics you want to hear more about also, if you want to be a guest on the show, then just get in touch. I'm always curious to get to know new leaders, more leaders who really can share their voice with other people around them, inspiring them and encouraging them to take their own steps off self-leadership. Enjoy this episode. I'm sure you will enjoy it as much as I did recording it. And I speak to you in a short moment. So hello, hello. Today I have the wonderful Paul Rose with me and I am so excited about it. Hello, Paul.
2: Hi, Kathleen. It's great to be here.
1: It's great to have you. I'm so excited. I said to you beforehand, right, I constantly interview legendary leaders here. We talk about all sorts of facets of leadership every episode. And then I saw this ad on, I think it was LinkedIn, that you gave an interview for National Geographic. And I was like, Kathy, are you actually stupid? You haven't spoken to Paul yet, right? You really need to contact him. So I'm so delighted that he said right away, yes, I'm going to be on the show. Let's talk about this topic a little bit more.
2: Yeah, no kidding. I was, I was happy to hear from you. And, it, and it's good timing. You know, so very happy to be here. It's going to be good.
1: Absolutely. So just to give the audience a little bit of context, how we met I think it was three or four years ago already time is flying by especially when you are in this weird situation we are all in at the moment right being trapped at home almost and i i came to the lake district with a group of leaders that wanted to learn more about self-leadership and how they can really show up as leaders in organizations and one of the big parts was storytelling and i remember you coming to a fireside chat and Usually I'm just more in the background, I'm the facilitator, I'm observing, I'm supporting the learning obviously. But one thing happened during this fireside chat, and I've never told you that actually, I was literally in the midst of tons of emotions listening to you. There was this emotion of feeling absolutely impressed, feeling truly inspired, nearly being close to tears. Literally everything, having a laugh, enjoying the chat, and leaving the session and just thinking about, oh my goodness, Kathy, you need to think your own leadership approach. And that has never left me. I think you are one of the best and most amazing storytellers I've ever experienced. So that's how we met.
2: It was good to hear you, Kathleen. it, Kathleen. I remember it was a great night up there in the, in the hut, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And uh, when I left that hut, it was very late, very dark. You know, four-wheel drive tracks, uh, not very good weather. Yeah. Shortly down from the hut, I don't know if you remember, there's a couple of gates to get through. Yeah. And it was so dark. I jumped out of the Land Rover, legged it towards the gate, and ran into a big pile of bulls that were there in the field. I didn't know what had happened, but I hadn't seen them. They were black. It was dark. I was in a rush, and I just bumped into one big hairy thing, (laughs) turned around and bumped into another big hairy thing. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. There were just four bulls just happily hanging around at the... At the gate, so I shall always remember it from meeting you and the team up there, having a great night in the hut.
1: Gosh. And
2: then scaring myself half-witless with a bunch of bulls in the field.
1: You were sure the hairy things were bulls?
2: Well, I think they were, yeah.
1: <laughs> you, you like a bit of an adventure and a little bit of danger, right? So you yeah,
0: yes, those I those
1: things, literally. <laughs> so I want to come back to the story that you've shared with us in the hut. And you started your story basically about you being a boy and starting, you know, your, your career, basically. You left school and then you went to work for Ford and you were only 16. Yeah. And now you are this TV presenter, this adventurer. this You have so many different titles, but you are on this big, big mission. So what has been your story? Do share it with the audience as well, from being this boy at the age of 15, 16, to you now?
2: Well, first, it's great that you remember it, Kathleen. But yes, I grew up in Elm Park, Essex, which is next to Romford in Essex. It's a, it's a long way from the natural wild places, but very close to the sort of urban wildness, as it were. And I was very claustrophobic as a boy, you know, living in a council flat, quite small. I didn't like school. I couldn't do school. I think I hadn't learned enough to learn. And along with a lot of my other mates the the teachers became dense a bit of a sort of enemy situation with the teachers learning from books was complex i couldn't do it and the whole thing about sitting at that desk next to that overheated painted victorian radiator which i can still smell and looking out the window thinking that's where i want to be i could not do school and so because of that claustrophobia not being able to learn it leads to being in trouble and uh, not getting anywhere with school. Yeah. And yet on television, then I was 11 years old. I was watching three wonderful individuals. I was watching, you know, Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. Who was leading these amazing expeditions on Calypso. I didn't know about the science he was doing. I understood none of the Marine biology he was talking about, but he was having a great adventure in the sea. Hans Haas, was with Lottie Huss, Hans and Lottie Huss, making these wonderful black and white shark documentaries. And you look back at those images now, and they are very grainy, beautiful, but very grainy. And you see the images we produce today, and you can just tell how time has moved on. So these are real, genuine characters. But the, th- the one that had most impact on me was a mythical character, Mike Nelson. It was Lloyd Bridges playing Mike Nelson in The Sea Hunt. A television series was popping up on my screen most weeks was black and white, absolutely beautiful. And Mike was having proper testosterone-fueled adventures in the ocean every week. He was rescuing men from flooded mines and rescuing pilots that had crashed their airplanes. And it it was something about his adventure in the ocean. I thought that's for me, but no idea how to become a diver. There was no divers in the family. I certainly didn't know any. And most importantly, I think I remember those times watching that on television, feeling frustrated at school, and being very happy that mum and dad did eventually let me move my mattress out onto the balcony, because that was something I'd been trying to do for a long time. Um, sleeping out on the balcony in any weather, there was a good cover over it, meant a lot to me to just be out. Eventually, you know, naturally enough, uh, I failed all the exams at that point, 11 plus, 13 plus and everything and was on a, I couldn't have said it at the time, but I was on a race to the bottom with my other useless mates. And then at 14, a geography teacher called Mr. Gray recognised that that there might be some hope for us, and that's something I shall never forget. He took us to the Brecon Beacons, and as we left the school, he became less of a suit-wearing member of the enemy, horrible teacher, and more of a sort of cagoule-wearing excited influential he was genuinely excited about going to the brecon beacons with us he wasn't just doing it as a duty he was and i was amazed i thought wow he's really enjoying this and that helped me and my mates and we got there and i was one of them kids who i had a natural affinity to the outdoors i was good at going up i was good at finding intuitive safe routes down i was great in the water i was happy when the weather was terrible I was especially happy when I saw some of those kids that were cruising school and getting all the great grades having a terrible time out there. That made me feel good because at last I was beating them at something. <laughs> and then I remember Mr. Gray praising me one day. And I, oh, what a thing. I'd never, you know, what a great thing. He told me how great I was doing. I was far too proud to acknowledge it properly or even thank him. But it was a great moment. And I couldn't have said it then either. But I remember sitting at the the Tidfield Youth Hostel peeling potatoes into a bucket. And that feeling, I can only describe it now, I've never felt so alive. I couldn't have said it at the time. I was just really happy. So that was it. I thought, well, that's it. It's the outdoors for me. <laughs> I could do it. I was happy in it. And um, in those days, you could leave school if you passed something, which was probably mutually beneficial to teachers and kids like me. I managed to pass metalwork, uh, got metalwork O level, which remains my highest academic qualification today. I'm very proud of that thing. Yeah. And got an apprenticeship at Ford Motor Company in Dagnum. And during that apprenticeship, learned to dive, learned to climb, learned to make mates, enjoyed that, sort of, that, that sense of getting somewhere. And I was a toolmaker. I really could do it. And by 21, there I was a skilled man earning a good wage. And I was a scuba diver, a climber, and a sailor, and a kayaker, and all those other important things.
1: Absolutely incredible. And you, you highlighted a few really important points here. You've had someone who actually showed you this different world. Mr. Gray, right? He removed his, his suit and he stepped with you into this world of the outdoors. And I'm loving this. And I can't wait for my little baby to explore the outdoors as well. We live in a very outdoorsy area and just to really, really get into it. It's, it's so important. You also just knew that this was your thing. And I sometimes ask myself, I often actually ask myself, do we as adults overthink our passions, what we really should be doing, what we love doing in general? Overthink it in such a way that we can get into our own ways instead of simply getting back into this childlike state where we say, what do we really feel here? What's really going on? Let's go for it, right?
2: I think that's true. And I think, you know, one of the things I have learned in in my life as as an explorer is that we have to trust our instincts. In the classic work environment, yeah. we can end up in a situation where we feel it's wrong, yeah. we feel it doesn't suit us, it may even question our ethics, and yet we'll go for it because there's a classic hierarchical sort of sense to things. Whereas in the wild places, we instinctively trust our natural instincts. Yeah. We go, well, for whatever reason, that looks safer, more reliable that way, but I'm not sure about this way. You know, why do we make those decisions? You know, when we're underwater, what is it about going this way and that way, or up there or down there? or What is it when we're on snow slopes that you think, well, the avalanche conditions appear to be all right, but I think I'll go this way. And then later on, you realize the other slope did avalanche. You know, how do we make that? We follow our instincts. And the same with people. When we're out and we're all up against this common sort of challenge and fun and single-purpose journey, whatever it might be, um, it's easier to follow people's instincts, but in the classic work environment, there seems to be a habit to just sort of quell those, mm-hmm. and we'll do the certain policy-generated strategy uh, unquestionably, which of course is a disaster.
1: Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I work in this traditional workspace quite a bit, right? With other organisations who want to form and shape the best leaders possible. One of the big topics. I'm sure you know, is innovation, innovative leadership. Let's reinvent ourselves, right? Especially now with this experience, this COVID experience that we are going through. And yet we follow policies, yet we don't dare necessarily to step into this adventure. And I understand a lot of points why we don't do it and why we play safe. But well, I often think, okay, more adventure is needed, more risk taking is needed. Now you, have experiences with, with a lot of these organizations as well. You support them, you, you mentor them and so on. What's your view on taking more of an adventure approach in traditional organizations?
2: Well, I think, I think we should. I mean, we, we can certainly afford it. You know, we're living in, you know, you and I were operating in, you know, wealthy countries. We've got a lot of smart people around us. Yeah. And this period itself has shown that we've got to learn new skills and we can be really good at it. You know, there's virtual conferences and virtual events, but we've still got to stick to the main principles of leadership. And there's a lot, I mean, you're you're brilliant at, at analysing, working and, you know, really helping and mentoring leaders, Kathleen. What you do is absolutely brilliant. For me, I keep it really simple. I keep it to technical competency and honesty. And when these two things come together, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's great. And if you've got a leader that gives people a sense to room to explore, room to develop, and a chance of, you know, innovating, as you say, then things are better. It's easier to follow. It's easier to to make a good go of it. And there's nothing worse, is there, than showing up to an innovation conference and it looks and feels like any conference anywhere in the world you've ever been to. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's when you want to see and experience something completely different, right? You want to be thrown a little bit into the unknown. I think so. And I
2: think it's the time for, for business to demonstrate a better set of values, a better set of ethics. You know, I, I sort of had this, one of my many dreams is that when, you know, when we go to vote for a new chief executive or politician or community leader or even school leaders, whatever it might be, when we go there and we see that voting form, on the top of the form, it displays ethics and values. So it would say John Smith rather than John Smith conservative or John Smith, whatever, it would say John Smith spent four years volunteering for a group in uh, India, uh, he's a big supporter of the arts, terrible dancer, practical hands-on experience in field work as a volunteer, great generator mechanic, blah, 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 blah. And then number two is MBA, bum, bum, blah, and all the... Pl- so you would look at people's values first, or if we bought mortgages or houses or insurance or pension policies, it would display values not just giving money to something but actually hands on at the front line values you know if we had these electronic voting as many of us do now when you got to that voting form where someone hadn't displayed the value there'd be big red flashing lights you know you know this person has displayed no values are you sure you want to vote for them so i think this is the kind of thing we need to keep our business businesses in mind you think well what are our values we've got this extraordinary period of covid 19 where We're seeing headlines that I would have opened a bottle of champagne over a year ago that says we, you know, we must protect nature. Science will give us a vaccine shortly, we hope. But the only long-term vaccine against future pandemics is to protect nature, readdress that out of balance situation. And this wonderful thing that our health is reliant on everybody else's health, which in turn is reliant... On the value of nature and protecting nature so it's something we would have dreamed of seeing a year ago and i think we're going to have to have politicians and leaders of all kinds demonstrate their values if they really want to carry the next generation with them
1: absolutely and, and speaking about COVID and this awareness that we really need to focus more on our environment on nature how has that shaped your work now?
2: Well, it's actually helped in one way because we've got this in, you know, much sharper focus on nature and the value of nature. And we, my project, National Geographic, Pristine Seas, we've been part of the leading organisation for the 30 by 30 campaign, you know, the campaign for nature, protect 30% of the planet by 2030 mm. as a waypoint to getting 50% protected by 2050. E.O. Wilson's half-Earth. So we've been pushing at that for a couple of years now. Now, suddenly, that's got a huge amount of traction. And you can't go wrong. There are huge articles in the Financial Times and all these other organizations saying that if we protect a third of the planet, the financial return is about five to one. So we receive five times more than it costs to protect it. Things like this. So, of course, that's helped my mission in protecting nature. It really has. That's, it. that's undeniable. It's made it a bit tricky because I'm an expedition leader, and I normally spend my life uh, in the wild places, either at sea or in the polar regions, and all of a sudden, I've become a semi-professional Zoom user. So what happened to us, uh, we quickly, we being Pristine Seas, jogged all of our expeditions back. And it's not simple to say, right, we're going to take all of our expedition planning and jog it all back a, a year or a year and a bit, because... Things are going to change. We normally select expedition targets based on scientific need and political opportunity. These parallel columns that we run and analyse before we prepare the expeditions, but now we've got a third column, and that's called post-COVID recovery, which is hugely variable because it's not just me, my team, our in-country partners, and the ship, but it's all the things that go around with that, such as the travel and uh, ways of managing. COVID, so it's, it's a very complex situation. So we're not quite sure where we're going next, but we know we're going somewhere about mid next year. In the meantime, we've been working, making progress on marine protected areas and other conservation issues by doing exactly this, Zoom conferences and virtual conferences. that have been working really well. We really do have a lot of progress on this stuff. And I say it's been very satisfying, even, even uh, when was it, in uh, May, ran something called the Global Biodiversity Festival, a three-day event on global biodiversity. So, you know, it's a sense of being useful, making good things happen. And somehow COVID has sharpened up my focus, and I expect sharpened up the focus of most right-minded individuals and organizations, I
1: think. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I think some are still on their path of discovery, where the journey is going to go and how they can really demonstrate their their values or redefine their values more. Others are already there. They are already fully understanding, okay, we need to shift. Change needs to happen and real, real honest change to use your word and one of your core values as well here. I don't want to hide what you shared with me before we actually hit the record button. So you haven't just run the biodiversity conference here. You have also then just followed up writing a book within three months. That's available. That, that's pretty incredible. So tell us really briefly, what's the book about?
2: Well, it was great fun, Kathleen. I mean, the three-day biodiversity for a good friend of mine, Joe Grabowski, who runs the Explorer Classroom Sessions at National Geographic. Yeah. is through Joe that we communicate with hundreds of schools around the world while we're on expedition. Brilliant, brings it to life right into the schools. He called me in early May and said, I've got a mad idea. It's the International Day of Biodiversity, 22nd of May. I'm thinking of running a three day global biodiversity festival. Well, two and a half day, what do you reckon? And I said, yes. So we pulled in all of our address books, wrote to all these people and organized this big conference. It was going to be sort of two days. It turned into three days. It ran like clockwork, which was maybe one of the most surprising things. 80 countries, 65 different speakers, thousands of people joining us from all over the world. So I got so excited. I said, we'll do a book. So we've done a book and it sort of records what we call the unique global snapshot of the planet. And we produced it. We've just received them and we're providing them free to everybody. So we're sending them out. We spent three hours in the post office on Monday sending them. And we've also made it the scanner QR code in the book or QR code online. And it downloads it free from my website in PDF format. So it's free for everybody.
1: Absolutely brilliant. So this is a man who takes action, Right. Um, he doesn't just talk the talk, he clearly walks it, and is trying to get his word out all the time and um, to really make change happen. And that's one of the pieces that really, really inspires me so much about you. There's no over-talking, there's action all the way. One of the leadership topics I would really love to touch on with you is actually self-leadership. You and I were talking about you having spent a long period of time now in Switzerland, actually which has been challenging for you because as you say, you are an explorer, you're an adventurer, you are out and about, right? But I also remember you telling the story of, I think it was one of your Antarctic exhibitions, and you on a ship together with your team, with the crew. So a very, very small space for a very long period of time. So how do you lead yourself in those moments when you are either in um, a space for a long time, when you can't really move about as much as you want to? Um, You have different personalities there. You will probably see the truest part (laughs) of each personality. How do you manage yourself in those um, situations? But also, how do you lead others through it?
2: That's a great question. Well, well, yes, it's all about... I suppose that the classic thing of accepting what you can't change, you know, when you're in a big storm at sea or in a tent, nothing you can do about the storm, it will eventually pass. And it might feel like, you know, a whole lifetime's gone past. But nevertheless, those 10 days or months or days, whatever it might be, it will pass. You can't do much about the storm. But what you can do is control the things that you can control. You have to have a sense of control. And for me, that's being useful. I like to feel useful. So finding something useful. When I've been laid up in a tent, obviously you can't be opening the door every five minutes to get something. So that's a case of bringing stuff in, in a sort of organized way, making sure you've got enough food, fuel, your communication gear is all right and your medical gear. And, and then shoveling out the tent and protecting it and all this kind of stuff in a certain rhythm, thinking, oh, look, it's eleven o'clock, I need to get out and shovel again. It wouldn't matter if you shoveled at half past 10 or if you shoveled at one o'clock. But you think, well, I'm going to shovel every couple of hours and keep that clear. So there's a sense of rhythm, a sense of being useful. And on things like when you're with a big team, and I've been with a big team at my research station, Rothera in Antarctica, or on a ship on the way down to it or on the way back. And there's a sense of ah you know, the ship's stuck. We're stuck in the ice. We'll call it probably going to be 10 days late.
1: Mm.
2: Well, because it affects everybody. It affects people's science plans, personal plans, yeah. you name it. And I've always agreed with this thing. You need to be technically competent and honest. So you can't stand in front of the team and say, it's all going to be great. Aren't we lucky we're stuck in the ice? Let's all make a good opportunity to have a few parties. And well, hey, we're all together. Isn't it flipping fantastic? You have to be dead straight and feel what people are feeling. Mm. But wow, Some people are going to miss flights. They're going to miss families. their Science is going to be upside down. You name it. It's a sense of being straight, open, and honest with them, of course, and with everybody. And then I think there is a chance to share quiet times with individuals and groups once everyone's established that there's an honest platform going on. I have actually been on ships where the captain has pretended everything's going to be all right, when quite clearly everything's everything's coming apart at the scene. So there's got to be honesty there. And then here during this period, yes, I came back from U.M. work and we came back to Switzerland here at the end of March. And at the first part, it was absolutely marvellous not to be flying anywhere. We were so excited not to be packing up and we were just living the dream. Because you know the weather was good, so we were running and cycling and enjoying life, it was dead easy. But this last period has been tough. I think it's been tougher on me than it has been Joel, because my, my life has taken the biggest change. I'm normally at sea or yeah. in front of a big audience somewhere, exciting, or in a polar region leading expeditions or big events. Yeah. So suddenly to go from that to being very static has been hard. This is the most static I've been for, you know, I haven't quite worked it out, something like over 40 years. And it means that every sense about it has been hard. It's been a hard push for me, this. So it's a case of being useful. So hence hence the book and working across nearly all possible time zones with Zoom events and, and similar and trying to sort of push through. I think some days I've tried to push through it in a very physical way you know done some core exercises here at home done a bit of work gone for a run done a bit of work gone out for a bike ride and a swim come back and done a bit of work done more exercises on the floor and done a bit of work because i looking at the computer for extended periods of time for many days is really tough for me i found it really quite the battle i'm sure i'm better from it i've developed a whole range of new skills and i think i'm fitter now than i was 6 months ago so that's that's probably a good thing but but wow it's tough and perhaps the first thing about self leadership is accepting where you are mm-hmm. and the, and the second part is you know, if it's tough it's going to be really tough and it's going to require something of you you don't just cruise it it's going to take something
1: i love everything you have just said but i want to highlight a few things in particular looking after yourself keeping fit being engaged feeling useful and doing useful things and and i remember when we moved into this state of lockdown for example i had quite a few voices around me who were in absolute like dilemma what am i going to do this is all really terrible and i understand that everyone's emotions are different and everyone's reactions are different right but it's also important to come out of that and to acknowledge how you're feeling but also then okay Where can I find help? What can I do? How can I be useful? And I I love seeing so many peers of mine turning it around now and saying, how can I serve differently in this world of Zoom and so on? It's just beautiful to see how many wonderful new ideas are coming out of this crisis.
2: It's a a funny old thing because when it first started, we were full of fun, but it it didn't last that long. I reckon it lasted about a month. And then suddenly things felt, whew, is going to take a bit more effort than we first thought it was a bit of a bit of a comeuppance moment there
1: absolutely and and there's still a way to go i mean let's be honest about that as well and leadership is even more important than it has ever been now to really help others not just through it but also really really explore potential of others because that's when you can really show what you are capable of doing in the most positive sense
2: We've never needed good leadership so much. I mean, here in Switzerland, there's been a sense of really organized leadership through COVID. The messages have been clear, people have been sticking to them, and it's been helped a lot by Mr. Coronavirus. Dr. Koch, who is a a brilliant guy, he was a doctor for the Red Cross for many years, worked in many war zones, and he became the very organized technical spokesperson for the Swiss government. An instantly likable guy, dead straight and honest, he became a national hero, even during very uncertain times, his messages were good. And when he retired a few weeks ago, he did his last news piece live on the news with his classic suit and tie and turned around and jumped in the river for a swim with his suit and everything on. You know? <laughs> so there's a man there with real, there's a real human principles, dead straight individual, yeah. as opposed to what's happening in the States or in Britain or you know, Brazil, you name it. We've got these... Lunatics are the wrong the wrong people leading. And at times like this, we need to be led by people like Dr. Cock. He's a national hero. We love him.
1: Yeah. Or Shinda Aden in, in New Zealand, for example. New people. Zealand.
2: Wow, look at what New Zealand's doing. You know, or Angela Merkel. You know, we've got great leaders out there, but unfortunately, they seem to lose the headlines to the to these lunatics. And um, you know, we're heading back to Britain on Sunday. And there's a bit of uncertainty about the way things are being managed in the country. So, I don't know. We'll see how we get on.
1: And, and that's where it comes back again to being dead straight, to being honest. Yeah. Because we were here in the UK, we were, I definitely was confused so often. And I said to you beforehand, I watched the news here, new numbers are being released. And I get really angry and I notice this anger in myself. And I'm like, you're winding me up. These are not the real numbers. Be at least transparent. Be honest about what's really going on, right? Exactly. So, I think we could talk about that literally forever, but I don't want to have a a public rant here on the show. For a moment, I want to go back to what you mentioned beforehand when you were on a ship with a captain who actually said, oh, everything is fine. But it was absolutely clear it wasn't. How did that make you feel? What impact did it have on you and the other people on the ship?
2: Yeah, it was a disaster. It's, it's a complete, you know, but, you know, this captain was talking to a bunch of uh, experienced Antarctic professionals. So we knew, we knew what was going on. Yeah. And it just weakened his position in leadership straight away. And that's the, that's the hard part, isn't it? When, when people do begin to question what's going on, and then it, it leads to other things, it, you know, question people's motives and ethics and values and, and what's really going on. So if you start with technical competency and honesty, you can't, you really, really can't go wrong. I've been with all kinds of other people who aren't in a position of leadership. They're not, you know, this is Mary, she's the base commander. You know, this is Mary, she's a, a mechanic. But her acts of leadership carry us through all kinds of dramas in these seasons. So I've been at, at sea with my team at Pristine and It's been acts of leadership from the crew or from visiting scientists that have got us through a difficult patch. People don't have to be the designated hierarchical leader to be, to be great leaders in a, in, a, in a setting, you know.
1: Yeah. I had the situation actually yesterday. I was approached by someone who considered working with me. And at some point she said to me, well, but aren't you just working with leaders? And I'm like, yeah, but aren't you a leader? We said, no, but do you have to be a leader when you are at a certain stage, in a certain hierarchy, in a certain age? (laughs) we, We talked about what makes leadership. We had actually a really, really fantastic conversation about it. But these are still the bias we carry, or some of us carry, that it is dependent on your hierarchy level. It is dependent on your experience in terms of age. But it's found literally around us in every person. And what we encourage you to do, especially to our listeners, is To unlock this inner leader in you, to unlock those behaviors, to make a bigger impact, to be useful to others. These are all leadership skills. Don't worry too much about hierarchies or anything like that. Just show the best leadership behaviors you can show and be real. Honesty is all about being real. Paul is laughing here very nicely about what I've just said. You mentioned beforehand when you are in this space with other team members. We were talking about the ship in particular. You are the Arctic expedition. You've got to feel what the other people feel. How do you do that?
2: It's interesting because yeah, when when you know it, you know what is it. You know if it if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it is a duck. So if someone is there and they're just flat miserable, just incredibly unhappy about everything it's not necessarily smart to try and become uh, an analyst and work out what it is that is making that person miserable i think the best thing is just to accept that person in front of you is really flipping miserable and if it's helping them to talk about it great if it's helping them to do tons and tons and tons of exercise as a distraction exercise if it's helping them to be quiet in a corner that's great, there's a sense of people being allowed to have their emotions. And I like that. I've seen, seen it where people have gone and seen this person and tried to sort of analyze and dig and poke and all that. And it, it doesn't work, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. You're much better off, if you've got a special relationship with that person, that's a bit different. But if it's someone you don't know very well, you just have to accept that person's is really flipping miserable. And the reason was because we're stuck in the ice. And the reason that we're stuck in the ice is because circumstances happen and weather and wind and all the rest of it. So you've got to get it back to basics, I think. Really get it back to basics and not try and overcomplicate things and try and distract from it. You know, by ah, oh, it's going to be all right, lads. You know, in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll all be drinking beer in Chile. Well, everybody knows that. But the reality is it's pretty rough at the moment, so let's just accept it for what it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: be in the present here. Yeah, I have two more questions for you. One is that every journey you are going on is a personal journey as well. What, what has been the most rewarding or the most challenging inner journey for you? I
2: think for me, the most challenging. Um, in the journey for me was when my wife, Sheila, was first diagnosed with cancer. And that was one of those things. I was having a terrific Antarctic season. It was a, a season where we'd had a lot of difficult seasons. And then I was having a really great season. I thought, oh, thank heavens. We, we've earned this season where everything just seemed to fit into place and how amazing that is. And on that season, uh, my good friend, Richard Hansen, who was the head of personnel section at British Antarctic Survey, called the base and uh, spoke to me and told me that that, uh, Sheila was in hospital with cancer, which, you know, came completely out of the blue. So it was quite something to return from that season early, meet up and discover what really was going on. And the sense of that this was really happening and that I didn't trust anything anybody was Telling us, you know, you only hear when you're in that situation. You only hear what you want to hear, and understand what you want to understand. And so, I found that something I'd, I should never forget. It was the most complicated thing to imagine to get through. And uh, you know, we lost her in '99, so she had two and a half years of that. So, fortunately, I suppose in many ways a relatively quick passage. But nevertheless, as a young woman, and me as a young man, you know, I was 48. You think, well, Jesus, you know, this. Uh, so that was a most difficult uh, internal journey uh, you can possibly imagine. So, yeah, that was my most difficult <laughs> internal journey.
1: Yeah, it, it shows you can go on adventures that are really, really risky, where your life is clearly on the line from time to time. But in the end, it comes back to your personal relationships, to love. And and that can really hit you and change change you forever.
2: Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, I often say that, you know, a-, a life at the front line of science and on expeditions and exploration is, is, is nowhere near as dangerous as um, uh, life in the urban regions, you know, because at least there's a sense of control in the wild places where risks are analysed and, con- and you put controls in place to work around them. Whereas in, in the other parts of life, there's uh, very little uh, control. It just happens.
1: And you were a dad, right? At this point of time, you had Scott? Yes, that's
2: right. Yeah, Scott. It's very funny calling old old mates at the moment, Scott Rose. People often say, Hey, how's the boy Rose getting on? And I say, Well, he's forty forty-two. You know, he's got he's got three boys of his own and lives in Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut.
1: Yeah.
2: So yeah, life has moved on. So yeah, he's uh, yeah, I've got a son who's forty two, which is makes me jump when I think about it.
1: But but thank you for sharing that. Very, very emotional and very personal story as well i think it gets me back to a bit of a level where i say oh let's take a deep breath there are really really important things out there that we've got to focus on right yeah yeah and i don't quite know how to ask the next question given that you that you just shared the story but it's kind of connected to what i just said do you ever stop is basically the question (laughs) do you take time for yourself to stop to think to reflect and how important is it for you i do yes absolutely i do um I tend to like the color of life a lot, like
2: all of us. If I've been working in a, in a cold, uh, challenging place for a long time where everything is hard work and just to get, just to get a cup of tea, you've got to chip at the ice, you've got to melt the ice, you've got to boil it, get, finally get a cup of tea, you know how great it feels. Then it's absolutely brilliant to be planning the next trip where maybe we're going to stay in amazingly great hotels in a warm, sunny place like the Seychelles or something and have this, have a massage every day and all that. So, so I like that. So I tend to do that or if I've been in a warm, hot destination working, then come back and think about climbing or going to a polar region or doing a ski tour or something. So, so I tend to like that moments like that, but I I am good at just stopping, particularly when I'm with Joelle and we'll go say, we'll go for a simple walking or camping or just, Stop and read. I'm a good reader. I love to read. But I haven't stopped for a long time, for a good chunk of time. I watched a film last night about a man who fell in love with an octopus. Wow. What, and, um, what film? My Octopus Teacher. You should watch it. My Octopus Teacher, filmed by a great friend of mine, Roger Horrocks, in, in South Africa. And this guy was a filmmaker, the story is about, and he just got exhausted. He burned out. And he took a year to fall in love with an octopus in the it's an amazing story and it's i've never done that i've never taken a year to just do something joel and i've got a friend who went up to berlin he took he took a big chunk of work out of his life he went to berlin to read a book a special book in a library that couldn't be taken out so he went up there
1: stopped his life to read this book so i'm feeling something like that coming on (laughs) yeah let us know what's going to happen there so that we can all come with you stalk you (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you have a busy schedule ahead, but briefly let us know where can people find out more about the next adventures of Paul Rose and about you obviously as well.
2: My website's a good place. It's paulrose.org and I'm active across most social media channels. So if you look for Paul Rose um, and paulrose.org is where you can download the free book.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so, so much. We are obviously going to publish those links on the show notes as well. So you're going to find them there. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. Could do that literally every week. So inspirational. Thanks so much. All the best for you. Loads of health in particular and enjoy your next adventure.
2: Thanks, Kathleen. Fantastic (laughs) speaking to you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkle.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.